tell me a tale. A tale of woe and drama. Petty drama. Petty drama is right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we should just go ahead and jump right into this one. It sounds like it's going to be beefy. Uh, yeah, it it is. It's got a lot of different directions to go in, so we'll kind of take a little bit different of approach in terms of not necessarily doing everything just this, then this, then this, then this sort uh-huh. of thing, because it's scattered. Uh, but what we're going to be talking about today is the Sino-Soviet split. Okay, it's here. We've been dancing around it forever. It's like the big will-they-won't-they they in the telenovela. No, <laughs> they're, they're split for good this time. Yeah, but you always wonder, are they going to get back together? Like, that's the mm-hmm. next part of the story. Yeah, my subtitle for this in the notes for you patrons out there uh, is... It ain't me, comrade, it's you. Damn. So much messy drama. Yeah, that's the best way to characterize all this. (laughs) I'm ready. So, the Sino-Soviet split is the split between the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China. What does Sino mean? It's referencing, like, anything Chinese. Okay. It's, and I don't remember the term for this, but it's like, I think an exonym, Mm. which is like a name that other... You know, like we call Germany, Germany, but they what would they call, call it Deutschland. Deutschland. Yeah. It's like that, gotcha. sort of. I uh, think that's stupid. I think we should all learn a word in a different language. Sort of, but then you also have different scripts and you stuff. You do have different, <laughs> but like you could still pronounce it. Correctly. So like the romanization of it, but the pronunciation yeah, of theirs. I think so. That'd be okay. I don't know. It's That's one of the old things that for some reason we don't do. But yeah. Or like uh, people's names sometimes. They yeah. Translate those over, but sometimes they don't. So. Yeah. Anyway, the Sino-Soviet split is partly to do with the histories of these two countries. It's partly an ideological divide. We've got a really upset cat in the background. So, Um, yeah, Uh, it's also partly like a geopolitical struggle. Gotcha. What it is, you know, it's got all these scattered components of it. One thing it is 100% is destructive to the cause <laughs> of bad. world communism. We're not yeah. going to come out of here with a five-star review of the right. Soviet split. Uh, this sucked. I think you will come out of here kind of seeing both sides. Okay. Maybe understanding why they did what they did. Okay. Or why they felt that they had to do what they did. Okay. And probably still disagreeing. Probably We're probably going to end up like... We're the disappointed counselor. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not just going to be like, damn, that was the stupidest thing. It was bad, <laughs> but it's like, okay, I get Understandable. it. Understandable. Yeah. So we're going to break down kind of how it happened, like how they broke apart, basically, how yep. they started hating each other, and then start talking about some of the different effects of this. Gotcha. And how that played out. The roots of this, the historical part, uh, comes from all the way back to the Chinese Civil War. Wow. The uh, Soviet Union uh, was advising, was Mm -hmm. helping uh, the Communist Party of China in that uh, struggle. Gotcha. And uh, one of the things, they kind of made a mistake. So one of the things in in 1923 that the Soviets said uh, was, you guys need to work with the KMT, the Kuomintang. Yeah, yeah, that was turned out to be bad. Right, yeah, they said you got to work with them. The Soviets had been backing them from before because they were like a nationalist organization. They were like, they're not perfect, but... Close enough. It's something, yeah. So they're like, team up with them, work with them. You'll take power eventually, but, you know, combined forces. They said, okay, are you sure? Okay, I guess. (laughs) And they did it, and then in 1927... The nationalists uh, under Chiang Kai-shek purged the communists from the ranks and they just restarted, you know, the yep. the violence there. Yep. So that was kind of a little point of resentment between the two. Fair. Now, they still worked together. They were still allies through that. They were still allies in World War II. It's not like they broke apart then, but that, I think that's like sort of a simmering resentment mm-hmm. or... Uh, something that makes them more makes them readier to see uh, the worst of situations later. Gotcha. Uh, the triggering event mm-hmm. for the Sino-Soviet split is the death of Stalin. Yeah. Okay. Nineteen fifty-three. 
we, we've, we've talked about that and like kind of the power struggle afterward, especially mm-hmm. when we did the, uh, the show on the movie about it. End of the day, Nikita Khrushchev takes power afterward. Yeah. The trick to spelling his name is when you think maybe there's an H here, there is an H. (laughs) Just throw an H in it. Right, yeah. It's just K-H-R-U-S-H-C-H-E-V. That's a lot of H's. Every opportunity, basically, there's an H. (laughs) So, because it's a a tricky name. Uh, So he starts off basically spending some time consolidating power. He's got a lot of the old guard in there. He wants to get his guys in. He's got ideas. And initially, he's still friendly toward China. Mm-hmm. Uh, he helps, not him, the Soviet Union helps with industrial projects, uh, sending technicians, sending advisors, uh, buying lots of Chinese exports. So early in that time period, there's there's no problem. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually a little bit of an improvement. There were... China felt they weren't getting the best of deals in in the later years of Stalin's reign. So it's like, okay, this is this is an, a little bit improvement. These guys are nice, cool. And like China is definitely working to build up its industry at this time. Yes. So, so yeah, they're they're about to do the great leap forward. They're looking to rapidly industrialize all that stuff. Once he's consolidated power, he's firmly in place. Khrushchev starts the process of de-Stalinization, which includes a lot of stuff. But for our purposes, the main thing is that the Soviet Union starts to do some reforms. Mm-hmm. Or if you're more of like a hardliner, they start to do some revisionism. Okay. It's just like when he got more chill about some of the laws, I guess. I yeah. remember our like Stalin episodes. Yeah. So he, it's called, also called the Khrushchev Thaw. That's right. Yeah. Of like uh, relaxing, like some of the some of the laws and and in terms of the media or culture things mm-hmm. like that, liberalizing the or reforming the economy a little bit, like yeah. more decentralization sort of stuff, general economic reforms because it's more complicated than just just chilling. <laughs> yeah, than just relaxing. Like he had a, different agricultural policies too, some good, some not good, and also shifting the focus of the economy away from more like heavy industry stuff and more toward consumer good. So he was trying to do all that. And it basically, this, this question of revisionism kind of comes up. People start, it's, it's always like a critical thing. You're never like, I'm a revisionist. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's always something people call you. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's basically when, you are accusing someone of not doing Marxism right. Ooh, okay. Right? So they're like changing it or revising yeah, it. Yeah, okay. And it's meant different things in history. In Rosa's time, Rosa Luxemburg was calling Bernstein a revisionist. In, That's right. Uh, in, what was that book called what, that we read? Um, what was it I don't remember because I didn't read it? it. That's the one I didn't read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's her call-out post. Reform or revolution? Yeah, that's it. You know, she was like, well, he's saying you don't need a revolution yeah. to do socialism. He's, he's a revisionist. Yeah, he's revising it. Like, he's just fucking it up. Interesting. Uh, the Soviet Union called uh, was called revisionist by Trotsky Ooh, when he left. Yeah. He was like, these guys, they're being bureaucratic, you know. They're yeah. doing this bureaucratic caste and all this, and they moved away from the workers. They are changing what Marxism is supposed to be. Gotcha. Uh, and so in this case, Soviet Union is getting called revisionist for these changes they're making. Gotcha. Right, people start to say, uh, I don't know, this sounds kind of like you're getting weak, mm-hmm. kind of like you're allowing some capitalism, some capitalist sort of tendencies to creep back in. Yeah. And the the real tipping point, uh, the, the real like high point of this de-Stalinization process comes when Khrushchev on February 25th, 1956, gives a speech called On the Cult of Personality and Its Consequences. Oh, is he basically just like, let's throw that whole man out? In the actual speech, he doesn't go that far, but that's its effect. Yes. He does try to say Stalin did some good, you know, he did some good things. Like, he doesn't want to say 100%, but he heavily leans on, here are all the bad things he did. Yeah, because, I mean, even the, the fucking title, like, he was, I mean, for all of his flaws, and there are many flaws, y'all, 
Go back and listen to those episodes. Yeah. I, I had a many, many a strike on that man. <laughs> he was kind of beloved. So, yeah. makes sense. So it had to be had to be carefully calculated. This was called the secret speech. Okay, yeah, yeah. So was it a secret? No, it, it was like a closed session, you know. And oh, okay. They didn't publish this in the Soviet media or anything. Mm. Uh, it was... There's complicated stories behind it, but, like, they basically smuggled it out of the country to... They're trying to, like, leak it to them, basically, yeah. to get it out there. The Soviets delivered it to Eastern European socialist states, too, to basically let them know, hey, this is our... New plan. <laughs> yeah, new plan, guys. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this is when Khrushchev addressed the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of Soviet Union. And it is a scathing rebuke Woof. of Stalin... And, like, the excesses yeah. uh, of the purges. You know, he says that he was he was a jerk. He was unjustly executing lots of people. He had amassed too much power for himself. He wasn't consulting with the party congress or with the Politburo. He was just doing things himself. He's not wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would <laughs> say that especially in the later years and especially with the, with the purges, mm-hmm. uh, even if there had, there were these perceived enemies, there probably was a, there probably was a way to protect against that without going that far. Maybe and there was thing in the amassing power thing, like that he defoted that. Yeah, he wasn't as as democratic internally yeah. within the party as he could have been. It's not that he was a hundred percent just just my way or anything. Like I mean, no. they did have discussions and stuff. It's a little bit caricaturish to be like, oh, yeah, he's just... he was a total dictator. Right. But it, but he did put people in power that agreed with him. So he had a lot of yes men. True, yeah. And mostly men. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the alternative, though, is with, with counter histories and stuff is you don't know. So it's very possible that had he been like, well, I'm not going to do the purges. I'm not going to do this. Then maybe some plot would yeah, maybe. have come off and we would look stupid. Maybe. It's possible. And that's kind of the more Marxist-Lenin's defense of it. But I would like to have seen it attempted. (laughs) This was, I think, another good analysis of this is that this was kind of a good way to for Khrushchev to continue his his process of consolidating power, right? Of of sort of turning the page. I'm I'm the new guy. This was the old guy. He was not very good. Here are the bad things that he did. You know, it's kind of a way to admit that we made mistakes but put it on someone else who's dead and gone yeah yeah yeah. right a way to neutralize your opponents a little bit and say like well if you're opposing these things this is the guy you're siding with Mm -hmm. also kind of a way to clean up after himself it's kind of funny because this this stuff is very shocking to people yeah like oh my goodness but khrushchev himself was (laughs) yeah he was a party member at the time it's not like he's brand new like he was Involved I didn't in have the purges. To do with it. <laughs> yeah, no, he was involved in the purges. He supported it at the time. He's, yeah. you know, he said, "This is great. We need to do this." Yeah. Uh, he helped purge his friends and colleagues. Cool. But by this point, the most charitable explanation is he's reformed. He's changed his mind about the whole thing. It was bad now. I mean, that's funny as I'm still picturing Steve Buscemi from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all what he looks like. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not a very not a close good likeness. It's good casting, but oh. not in, a, in terms of likeness. Yeah, it's good, like, in terms of delivering lines. I mean, he, yeah. he was great at it, but it doesn't look like him. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so anyway, that's the uh, secret speech. It's chaos. People are, any, everyone in the meeting, people are leaving. Uh, one of the speeches they delivered to, I forget the country, an Eastern European country, uh, the guy who was reading it to the party Congress, like had a heart attack and died. Oh my God. Um, the guy reading it. Yeah. Like the, the party leader there. Too shocking. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was intense stuff. But what does this have to do with China? Well, it makes Mao and the communist party very upset. Oh, they see the Soviets as fully going soft, losing their touch. And they had made a big deal about how pro Stalin and they were like they were yeah. modeling themselves after that system. They were modeling themselves after heavy industrialization. Totally. And it's kind of awkward now because that system, that person just got decried. Yeah. And now they're like, well, it's well, like, are you calling me out? too? Yeah. What do you think about us? You yeah. know? And, um, 
that's when it starts this argument back and forth. It's really petty stuff. <laughs> they're constantly doing, uh, they're, they're publishing like op-eds in their paper. Uh, they are doing speeches at party congresses, their own and other countries too. They'll like... <laughs> What's up, y'all? Yeah, they'll show up to the you know Romanian party congress and put each other on blast <laughs> Poor Romania is just sitting there like, guys, this is not what we're here to talk about. Yeah, can we run our country real quick? Can you all take this outside? It's it's messy stuff. But they they start sniping back and forth about those ideological things, right? About like, oh, you're trying to throw out Stalin who made these great contributions. You know, he helped in these various causes. You know, where would we be without him? And then the other side saying, uh, you guys are being you know, out of hand about this. Like, it's okay to make criticisms. Yeah. We, you know, uh, we're trying to do this different thing our way. You can do your different thing your way. That sort of, it's, yeah, it's this messy situation from then on. Another sort of change in Soviet strategy that China did not like was uh, that the Soviets started to pursue a strategy of peaceful coexistence. With the capitalist world. I don't like that. <laughs> okay, China has kind of shared your outlook on it. Yeah, they suck. They said, they suck. We should be <laughs> at war with them. We don't like them. The Soviets were like, yeah, but nuclear weapons. I mean, okay, that's a, that is fair. They said, everything could blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Literally, we, everything. Yeah, we, we want to kind of move from encouraging, like revolution like insurrectionary revolutionary wars and stuff oh but i love those well they were like we want to do less of that and more try to just outperform the cap like build a great society show off how cool we are and then the workers there are going to start demanding socialism for themselves but like i don't know man like you gotta it's a lot easier to perform well when you have more countries on your side. Yeah. That was the Chinese perspective, too. Yeah. China was saying, we need to free people from the yoke of capitalism now. We need to help, especially in uh, the so-called third world countries, the hyper-exploited countries. Yeah. We've got to help those guys get free. We've got, you know, we've got to work, per, you know, people's so wars a- of liberation. I mean, it's the right thing to do, and then also you have a trade network. Yeah, so that so that and those are the two perspectives, basically. I guess I'm on the Sino side. All right. Uh, Not that I'm a big Stalin head, but I don't know. That's the thing. There's there's these two things were seen as a coherent system altogether. So like, yeah, the the stronger command economy of centralization, industrialization. Well, you would call democratic centralism with an emphasis uh-huh. on the centralism. Yeah, definitely. That was seen as, as hand in hand with we're going to take this particular foreign policy. Like, this is the right yeah, way. Yeah, they went. The right it. party line. Yeah. And then, conversely, the Soviets were saying, no, this is the right party line to uh, adapt to the conditions that we're in, yeah. to make changes. Sort of, uh, it harkens back to sort of the, the NEP, the new economic policy yeah, of Lenin, yeah. where he's like, we got to do these changes. We got to do a little bit of, you know, capitalist development under our state control so that we can build the base. Yeah. And that's kind of what Khrushchev is saying is we've got to do more of this uh, consumer goods. We've got to. I think that's decent. I'm fine with that. Party structure. Like we've got to open that up more and have more like consensus building and stuff. Yeah, that's good. Uh, So yeah, I want to pick and choose. (laughs) But he, yeah, he, they they say that hand in hand with that, we've got to adapt to the conditions internationally, yeah. and we've got to realize that since we can blow everyone up, since you know you never know what the Americans are going to do, yeah. we've got to try to sort of peacefully develop our project and hopefully convince the rest of the world to maybe even reform their way to what we're doing, oh, which is gosh. where you get the revisionist charges. Yeah, and know? like you, how are you going to? I mean, the other side isn't going to be peaceful, is the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to do some fuckery. Yeah. Also, apologies, listeners. I have really bad allergies today, so I'm going to try my best to edit out any sniffles, but whoops. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, everyone is, you know, 
Everyone's been there at some point. <laughs> All right. So that's the divide. Both sides say you can't pick and choose any of this. Our side's the right way. This God is the it. right way to see it. God damn it. Uh, and they're taking this public. They're oh. telling everyone throughout the world, you know, to the various communist parties that they have in all the countries. Yeah. Hey, are you going to side with us or them? Wow. Yeah. How does that break down, I guess? Like, who, who takes what side? Very complicated. <laughs> I'm sure. They're, most countries end up siding with the Soviet Union. I imagine, because they're just still such a powerhouse. Right. They're the older brother. Uh-huh. They're stronger. They've got more resources. Yeah. Uh, there is one notable exception in Albania. Oh, really? Uh, Albania under uh, Enver Hoxha. He was a very, uh, you know, pro-Stalin, yeah. you know, pro-that approach. A Marxist-Leninist, you know, hardline. A hardliner. And so when they do the secret speech, when all this stuff comes out, he says, that's bullshit. You guys are, you guys are dissing my man, all right? Uh, and you guys are being revisionist. And the Soviets, in turn, say, uh, well, you're an asshole. Uh, you won't change, you know, you won't reform your country. Your country's backward and stuck in these old, outdated, Stalinist ways, you know, they call it. And so they cut off aid to Albania. Oh, shit. And Albania's like, that's fine, man. I would sooner, you know, we, we would sooner subject our people to starvation than take your aid anyway. Wow. So they don't do that, though. They get aid from China. They okay. turn to China. <laughs> Uh, and they, they become fast friends. Yeah. Uh, they're uh, anti-revisionists is what they, you know, okay. they're, they're saying. We're, we've got the right line. We're not... Real shit. Yeah. So Albania is an exception. They side with China. But Eastern Europe, Vietnam, Cuba, these guys all stay aligned with the Soviet Union. So from there, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of different sort of geopolitical results from this. Okay. You know, that that pop off at different times. I don't know how you want to approach that. If you want us to just kind of go all in, just, just go run through it, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the earliest ones is in Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, it's sort of in the unrest caused by the secret speech. Isn't like in the aftermath of that. I remember in our Yugoslavia episode, that was it. Didn't we mention the secret speech in there? Mm, probably. Uh, the Tito Stalin split was before that. That was, you know, yeah, that's right. They had a different split, uh, but they, but, you know, Tito's, I mean, still in power by that point. The main thing here in Eastern Europe was in Hungary and in Poland. Uh, both of those countries saw rebellions, uprisings. Ooh. And, and they, they had interesting phenomena. I think we could do an episode just on, for example, the Hungarian one. It's very complicated stuff. they have any help from any friends? That's the thing, is the Soviets <laughs> definitely thought so and were worried that, like, there were fascist elements. Yeah. And... It's uh, it's not really clear. Okay. I don't think the I don't think the whole thing was that. Yeah. Or most of it, anyway. Okay. I think most of it was just the people, but there's always the risk of that for sure. Anyway, they have these rebellions and and they get crushed. Oof. Uh, the Soviets at first, Khrushchev is kind of taking a softer line with them. He's like, like let's hear them out, let's see what they're doing. Even though some people with, within the Politburo and everything, as they're talking this out, you've got different camps of like, yeah. let's be nice to them or let's invade them now. Yeah. Eventually, the new government that comes in and stuff, they uh, say, we want to withdraw from the Warsaw Pact. We want to be Whoa. neutral. We want to do all this. Right. Okay. And... At that point, they have like a rival government that shows up and they're just like, no, no, no. Hey, we, we want to do the old thing. Yeah. Soviets Union, come come help us. Yeah. And it's at that point that they decide enough is enough. These guys are going way too far and they crush it. And the, the, the kind of result here, I think, is it kind of makes China mm, afraid or see, look at this and say, oh, they're going to do that to us. This, yeah, this could have, well, sort of this is what happens, or this is kind yeah. of what you get when you ease up like that. When you're just like, oh, no, oh, like, let's, let's, okay. be, let's do some reforms, let's soften up. Because uh -huh. then all of a sudden, everybody who's a little bit upset with you starts doing a rebellion to leave. Oh, okay. So they get more entrenched, not less. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I think they get from that, which 
I guess it sort of deepens the divide. <laughs> Another early flare up of this having to do with the having to do with the peaceful coexistence thing uh, was in Taiwan. So in 1958, China starts shelling these two islands in between Taiwan and mainland China. Okay, why? Because they said it should be theirs. It's really, really close to them, but it was occupied by Taiwan. Okay. So they said, well, we're going to start bombing these things, and we're going to try to capture them. They actually did, you know, try to, like... That's kind of shitty. ...do an invasion to take it over. It was, you know, a uh, remnant, I guess, from the Civil War. Yeah. And they still considered, and consider to this day, Taiwan to be a part of China. Yeah. And, you know, the, the... Taiwanese government there to be like occupying it or something yeah you know so they were like oh we're gonna drive them out we're gonna take this over and Mao was like we should try we should we should do this we're, we're gonna push and see if the U.S. does anything you know we, we're ready for it yeah his famous phrase was that the imperialists are paper tigers oh yeah is that they think they're badass they talk a big game but they're not gonna do anything gotcha so the union was like Dude, they might. <laughs> they might do something. <laughs> and so they like they back off. They were helping uh, China develop a nuclear weapons program. Woof. Okay. And they stopped. Yeah. And they said, "You guys, uh, you guys are doing some dangerous shit. Let's not." Exactly. This is a very small crisis, actually. Uh, there's bombing for a while. Uh, there's diplomatic tensions of like the U.S. coming in and being like, "Could you not?" Yeah, like we, we've got a. <laughs> Eventually, uh, they back down. Okay. Uh, China, because uh, the U.S. starts escorting convoys to resupply these islands. It's the oh, big thing. Okay, yeah. And China's like, well, we're not going to actually literally shoot at their ships because <laughs> then they can just invade us. That's a bad idea. Yeah. So that kind of cools things down. China okay. announces that they're only going to shell the islands every other day. <laughs> Basically giving... The islands a permanent resupply on those other days. Yeah. So the, the whole thing dies down. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, they This is 1958 when this starts. They end up doing this strange, odd and even day <laughs> uh, shelling. Like China and Taiwan will like take turns. Yeah. Shelling each other on those odd and even days. That's bizarre. At the same locations. <laughs> every day. Till 1979. Holy shit. And so it's like, really rarely does anyone get hurt from this. Because you know, yeah. yeah. It was just sort of like a fuck you sort of thing. That's so stupid. (laughs) Uh, Occasionally it would flare up. We'll say that, like, sometimes, you know, if tensions were high, one side would say, oh, we're we're turning on the the shell. Yeah, and just, like, really start bombing people. And people would get hurt in that. Yeah, yeah. But normally it was just this long-term. Yeah. That's crazy. That was the second Taiwan Strait crisis. Okay. But that's, you know, another element of, like, which side is right in that? Yeah, that approach. That approach of peaceful coexistence versus that antagonism. So, because you were saying pro antagonism, I, I was totally antagonistic. But like, did the people of Taiwan want a revolution? Like, were you successful in exporting? Because it just sounds like you were like being kind of imperialist and trying to take over. Mm, so you're saying was there any domestic support there? That's basically, that's what I'm saying. Mm. You know, probably not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're 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 a different country for a reason. Uh, they haven't overthrown their government. Yeah. So there's probably elements that would like to, but they're probably not in the majority. That's what I'm at saying. At that time or now. I think it's fine to support a revolution that's like already brewing. And it's fine to like even start like helping, like helping to start mm. that kind of ideology. That's fine. Yeah. But like it has to come from like the people in it. It has to be like a, what's the word? A domestic. Like it has domestic, to be. Domestic, yeah. Homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're saying. So you're saying you can't come in, knock the place down with tanks and say, now you're free. Yeah, because that's what the U.S. does. <laughs> so you have to... It means it's bad. You have to foment the people there doing their own revolution and freeing themselves. And then you can support them yes. if they do that. Okay. I think so, personally. All right. We have Marxism, Leninism, Christianism. Yep. It's a good one. <laughs> Or or, or something else. You don't have to subscribe no, to I like it. <laughs> Foisting that on you. All right. Uh, next we have, and all throughout this, uh-huh. like there's an entire page on Marxist.org dedicated to the Sino-Soviet split, which has all of their dirty laundry 
posted for the world to see. Just their, their back and forth. So, yeah. So, like I said, they put stuff in newspapers. Mm-hmm. They did stuff at party congresses. Uh, they also just wrote letters to each other and said, hey, asshole. Here's it. But the whole time they're like, dear comrades. Dear comrades. You know, fuck and, you. <laughs> My God. Like they would extend invitations to various, you know, international meetings and stuff yeah. it's like oh we want you to come to here and tell everyone like why you're wrong about this and, oh my god and that's so petty explain these these errors in your thinking and wow. hopefully you can you can go back from your misguided ways and you know follow the correct path to you know foster the international community of, of communist so, brotherhood and stuff like that that's so passive aggressive <laughs> the other side would be like actually we're not going to attend because <laughs> i regret uh, you know, to inform you yeah wow. it's fantastic Wow, that is passive aggressive as fuck. <laughs> in 1962, there's another flare up. Okay. Uh, this one was a border dispute uh, between China and India. Uh, they basically have been dispor- disputing their borders for a while, and in 1962, it boiled over into the Sino-Indian War. Ooh, okay. I didn't know about that. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty small scale. Uh, China ends up pushing in and asserting control over like uh, lots of territory, I guess, compared to what they were disputing at first. And then they kind of retreat to the area that they said, the disputed area, but still that they said that they had controlled the whole time. You know, gotcha. they're, they're like, this is ours. India was like, eh, I guess that's okay. <laughs> you do, you know, kind of exercise control over that. So it's fine. Uh, but one thing that happens here is that the Soviets said, since the split is happening right now, they're like, well, we're going to help India. Ooh. So they sold them fighter jets. They start supporting them more as sort of a counter. Damn. Why? It doesn't seem like their business. But it was enemy of my enemy. I guess. Yeah. Wow. And it was a way to sell fighter jets, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was that was another sort of minor result of it. It kind of makes India more pro-soviet they, they were never like an actual communist state or anything yeah, yeah they had socialist governments from time to time yeah but they they're not they weren't doing like marx and Lenin's or anything gotcha another border conflict this one was directly uh, between china and the soviet union Ooh. they had their own border it was very short but it was like a border war sort of thing yeah in 1969 nice uh these it's so it's this is very stupid because it's an argument over old land claims like dating back to the Qing dynasty jesus christ y'all i think you wanted to start a fight so pre-revolutionary stuff yeah yeah it is also just them being mad at each other that fueling this whole thing they had their their militaries pouring in troops to the region you know stationing people uh opposite on opposite ends of the border and yelling at each other sort of thing wow there's very few deaths in this. It's, it's not a very big, long conflict either. One thing that's interesting, though, is it's helped out by the death of Ho Chi Minh. Oh. So he died in 1969, and there was the funeral yeah. in North Vietnam, and both of them attended. They actually made sure to attend at like different times of the day oh so they God. didn't see each other. Like horrible exes. <laughs> but North Vietnam, for their part, was like, these guys are both our allies. Yeah, yeah. These guys are both helping us to try to free ourselves from U.S. imperialism. We need their help. We do not need them going to war with each other. Yeah, yeah. So They were the kid in the middle of the divorce. Uh, yeah, and so they're, they're like... Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, North Vietnam was, was really more allied with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, they're still getting help from both of these guys. And so they, they when, when the delegates go to the funeral, North Vietnam pleads with them, convinces them both, hey, can you guys calm down this border stuff? Don't go into open war. That's really going to help the imperialists. Yep. We've got a very important struggle going on. Yeah. And they, it's, it's successful. They, they, both, they both tone it down and settle the whole thing. No border changes, just are bad. Yeah. Speaking of North Vietnam, this is sort of the exception to their otherwise you know, conflict here is that even though they don't really like each other, even though North Vietnam supports the Soviet Union in the split, yeah, they both still work together in terms of uh, the in Vietnam struggle for liberation. That's good. So yeah, all throughout the war, uh, they both support it. After the war, things change. Remember from our Cambodia episode, 
Oh, uh, that's right. When, when that starts to happen in Vietnam, goes in and liberates them from Pol Pot. Uh, China invaded Vietnam yeah. as like punishment. Oh, that's stupid. Yeah, that was like in 1979, though, like after. Yeah, yeah. As, aside from that aspect of it, the, the real, you know, the, the, the Vietnam War proper, they managed to, if, a good thing, I think, yeah, <laughs> keep it together for that. Oh, more of that, please. Unfortunately, that's not really what oh, most no. of this is. Uh, another example of their, the Sino-Soviet split playing out on the international stage is in colonized countries doing okay. revolutionary movements and stuff. Who we got? So... Uh, example would be the Zimbabwe War for Liberation, okay. uh, where they were fighting against, uh, the, well, they were doing a rebellion against uh, Rhodesia. Okay. Uh, that was this breakaway state. This is the white people state? Yeah. Yeah. This is when Britain started decolonizing. Uh-huh. The threat of that was kind of on the horizon of being, you know, a white minority and, you know, uh, they they didn't want that to be governed by, like, the people of their country. <laughs> so they just declared independence on their Insane. own and did this white minority government. Wow. Obviously, the people started a rebellion against that because <laughs> it sucked. Yeah, that's shitty. But uh, the Soviets and the Chinese supported different armed revolutionary groups there. Like factions? Yeah. Okay. So the Soviets had Zapu, the Chinese had Zanu. That's and confusing. Those two were like, <laughs> yeah, they were rivals. Zimbabwe African National Union. Okay. And the Zimbabwe African People's Union. Okay. I guess People's is better for me, but... People's is better? That is Soviet. Okay. You're just going based on name? Just based on name, yeah. Nationalism can be cool, I guess. It's like buying a beer (laughs) or a wine based on its label. I do that a lot. (laughs) All right. So, better naming, the award goes to the Soviets. Uh, Yeah, I'll give it that. (laughs) But so they were rivals... They actually did, like, do some inter-fighting amongst themselves. Oh, okay. Uh, But eventually they united. I think it was not a good unification. It was like one side took out a lot of guys from the other side (laughs) sort of thing. I didn't read too much details into that, but it was was fucked up. Like, that didn't have to be. Yeah. That could have been more effectively done by simply uniting everyone together. But if you ask ask them, it's not just, oh, we're being petty and we, you know— both sides thought that their approach was the right one. Yeah. The Zapu would say, we're doing a revolution by focusing on the proletariat, the yeah. workers of the cities and stuff. And then the Zanu would say, that's not going to work. We're doing a revolution with the peasants and the people in the countryside. Oh, shit. So, Can you do both? Well, that's, yeah, that would be the more effective the approach. Well, they eventually do the Zanu PF. Okay. They, yes, they, they unite together. I guess... I, I, I want to avoid us just being like dumbasses. No, yeah, you know, for sure. To be able to see why they were doing what they were doing. And then it. still say it was bad. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, at least understanding it. You know, because history yeah. can be interesting that way of like, you look back and you're like, damn, people in the Middle Ages were dumb. They didn't even know about germs. <laughs> like, but well, they like actually understood quite a bit about They knew like, I better avoid a sick family member. Like they knew that. Yeah, they knew they knew how... Functionally, they were trying yeah, to explain their science, world. But they had the, the function. Mm, another bad example of this in the Soviet-Afghan War. Uh-oh. Remember, we mentioned yeah. this in our Afghanistan episode. Uh, but China also supported some Mujahideen groups. Are those uh, the religious ones? Yeah, the yeah. ones fighting against uh, the Soviet-backed government. That's there. right. So... They supplied training, weapons, and money. Oops. Up to a total of more than $400 million. Oops, oops, oops. They would bring in, like, these Mujahideen groups and train them in in China and then, like, send them back over. Okay, sorry. Okay. Refresh me. Uh, which one is the side that had the books with, like, A is for AK-47? Those were... So, yeah, the Mujahideen had all these different, you know particular factions uh-huh. and stuff but yeah it was the mujahideen side okay that's what i thought yeah it wasn't china that did that specifically yeah, that <laughs> but they were backing the same broad anti-government gotcha. side of that faction against the soviet union so another bad aspect i mean i didn't like the soviet union in that war either no one really came out on top in my opinion yeah there were lots of missteps a lot of a lot of i feel like i should be i should be a marriage counselor for for ideological communist issues. movements, yeah, I, I'm the communist marriage counselor. 
like, okay, let's talk about what's really going on here. Like, yeah. Albania, tell us what you've uh, talked to using the I Soviet statements. Union using I statements. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I just want to get through a meeting without y'all fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one big catastrophe okay. that comes from all of this is in 1972 when President Richard Nixon Uh-oh. visits China. That's right. This is an absolutely wild thing to happen. <laughs> On many, for many yeah, reasons. They were the ones that were like, we're going to be antagonistic. And they talked themselves into a full circle around to be so antagonistic about the Sino-Soviet split. Oh my about God. About this whole like, oh no, you shouldn't be peacefully coexisting with the U.S. And took that so far that they ended up back around the other full side. Circle. To cozying up to the U.S. Oh, what the fuck? Okay, I was going to say something to that effect because I'm like, this is funny because today China is doing market capitalism. So they did go full circle that way, too. Yeah, we'll get to that in, okay, in just okay. a bit. But yes, they, they also, they oh end God. up. It's totally, yeah, it's totally just, I'm so entrenched that I'll do whatever the opposite of what you're doing is. So they're kind of like going in circles around each other. It's just weird. Ugh. Yeah, in this case in particular, it's absurd. <sighs> Nixon. Fucking Nixon. Nixon, the renowned red hunter, just you know. Real piece of shit. Cold warrior to the max. <laughs> is Nixon's anyone's favorite president? Is he? Do you think like there's a guy there who's like, that's my man? I mean, I guess whoever wrote his biographies probably liked him, but... Well, probably not. You I mean, think so? I don't think I don't think the biographers get too close of an inside look at the <laughs> slime ball. You know, maybe yeah. If you meet so if, listeners, if you've ever it's met a, someone and, and their favorite president is Nixon, please tell us about it's it. It's a red flag. That is such a red flag. Run <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's 1972. He has Kissinger do a secret visit over there to set things up. You know, the the butcher of Cambodia. Uh huh. And this is. Intense. It ends, uh, it ends 25 years of no diplomatic ties. Jesus. And it's really, I mean, it's it's purely to... It's a fuck you. It, it's, it's a power move. Yeah. China's attempting to build up leverage, basically, get a closer alliance with the U.S. to Ugh. counter the Soviet Union. Like, so you guys are communists. Stupid. What are you guys, doing? come on! Ugh. It does end up leading to full diplomatic relations in later on in 1979. Cool. Yeah, bad shit. And uh, <laughs> it goes from like that bad visit to the worst of just like full-on diplomatic ties being restored, and like you said of, of China being more market capitalist now. Yeah. Uh, it goes to that once Mao dies. Yeah. So the end days of the Sino-Soviet split. Uh, come with the rise of reformism in China once Mao has died. So the timeline of that, 1976, Mao dies. And after that, uh, there's a brief time period where the ma- the main force in the Communist Party is the Gang of Four. Cool name. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a like the Elite Four if they were like kind of punkier. What's her name? Like if Team Rocket had their own Elite Four. Mm, okay. Which would be cool. They also have, like, cool little outfits. Ooh, I like their fits. Good little hats. Yeah. They could totally be in Team Rocket. Yeah, that's... That's a that's, Team Rocket look. Yeah. <laughs> Team Rocket uh, took power after... <laughs> uh, but is is led by Jiang Qing, who was uh, uh, Mao's wife. Oh, okay. And then uh, three others to round out the, the Team cool. Rocket of four... <laughs> Uh, they were radicals, so okay. they were sort of the the driving force behind the uh, great proletarian cultural revolution, uh, just the cultural revolution yeah. for most people. Um, and they were really pushing that. Mao was sort of reining them in. Wow! All right, and uh, they, they were they were really like, let's go, let's do this. Interesting. Okay. Full on kind of super left. I'm very confused because it's about to go the other direction. What happened? Well, they uh, get ousted. Okay, that nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mao's chosen successor, basically the guy he was bringing up through the ranks, uh-huh. Hua Guafeng, 
he's technically in charge, although the Gang of Four is like trying to run things. I see. And, and he's like, this isn't going to work for me. Yeah, so Hua basically outmaneuvers them and, and ousts them. Gotcha. Uh, get, has them arrested and just taken out of the party altogether. Bummer. Uh, are they executed or not? Let's see. Aww. No, they weren't executed. Okay, good. But they were, two of them were imprisoned for life. I mean, that's Mao's wife. Like, that's, that can't be like a chill thing to do. Yeah. I imagine people will be pretty pissed. She was in prison for life. Damn. Two of them received 20 years in prison. Wow. They're scared shitless out of these guys. Yeah, two of them died in prison. Two of them were released way later, though. So they, they got ousted. Yep. Uh, and so that was like the radicals' brief sort of moment. Yep. It was, it was too brief, really, to make the split any worse. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really didn't antagonize things further when Hua Guofeng and like the more uh, more moderate I guess Maoists were in power uh, they sort of stabilized the situation the split throughout that time period 76 to, to 78 it's not that long yeah the, the split kind of remained yeah uh, it is in 78 that Deng Xiaoping took power this is one of the things I wanted to bring up is that this guy had been purged from the party like twice. <laughs> what is he doing so here? So there's great purges where you arrest, you know, people and execute lots yeah. of people. But lots of but lots more than that are just like taken out of the party. That's right. Exiled. But when or, we talk about it, it does sound like it's like everyone dies. It sounds like everyone gets put in the blender. right? Yeah, yeah. But there's so many more people who are not, you know, who just... They maybe get exiled or lose their party position yeah. or something. That's bad. But, but I mean, not bad enough. This guy comes back. Yeah, there's lots of degrees of it. Like at some point, this guy gets, uh, you know, he's a close advisor and then he gets purged and he's like removed from the party basically and made to be like a factory worker. They just like, yeah. they just like, you just have a normal job now. <laughs> uh, and they he's end up back. bringing him back and then purging him again and then bringing him back to like, try to help revive the economy or something. Okay. And this is the perch from which he starts outmaneuvering the guy who brings him back, Hua Guafeng, okay. uh, to take over. Maybe don't bring back the guy that's already been purged twice. Maybe that's a red flag. <laughs> uh, but Deng Xiaoping, he's a reformer. So okay. when he takes power, he says, we're going to start doing more capitalism. Oh, boo. Yeah, so uh, this is where China starts doing its market reforms, pursuing socialism with Chinese characteristics or like a socialist market economy. It was a time period called Buluan Fanzheng. All right, what does that mean? Uh, which is eliminating chaos and returning to normal. Huh, okay. A little, little loaded. <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying essentially we're going to get out of the shadow of the cultural revolution and the turmoil that that caused. Okay. And we're going to start stabilizing things and... The more distasteful part of it is we're gonna we're gonna start doing market reforms. Ugh. Boo. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wadim hates that too. Market reforms. Ew, I hate it. In regards to the split, this starts to patch things up because now China's going down the same road that the Soviets were. Yeah. All right. So it's the Soviets. Started down that, and we will say it's to varying degrees because Khrushchev was doing more reforms, I wouldn't say to this extreme. Uh-huh. China really goes market direction. And uh, there's more like planned economy, maybe. Yeah, the Soviets are still planning their economy all the way through the end. Yeah. Khrushchev does a little bit more of these reforms, and then his the next guy, Brezhnev, tapers it down, but not to Stalin levels. Yeah, He's yeah. sort of... He's a moderate and yeah, that sort of a thing. And then by that point, it's just, you know, a couple of really old guys till uh, Gorby comes around, around uh, and just flips the lever. Pizza huts it up in there. Yeah. The Soviets don't go quite this reformist uh -huh. as I think uh, Deng Xiaoping and, and China going forward does. But uh, where, whereas the other one, where, whereas the foreign policy part was this really stupid, very antagonistic uh -huh. way to again talk their way around to the opposite point of view and help the <laughs> help the US. I think here it was less of an antagonistic thing and more of a domestic like this is this is what's going to work for us now. Yeah. We're going to adapt to the current conditions. The same thing the Soviets were saying before, just in a more extreme uh way. Yeah, yeah, cuz we've talked about China before and how like 
it is it is a confusing mix of ideologies, especially at this point. It's like, what the fuck are y'all even pretending to be doing? There are a lot of, you know, communists who will say that communists and socialists who will say that China is pursuing, like they say, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Uh-huh. They're trying to build up the material base for socialism uh, to be implemented with greater fidelity or, or greater accuracy later. But that right now it's a socialist society mm-hmm. in the sense that the people control the economy through the government yes. and the government through state-owned enterprises and through just occasionally, you know, giving a billionaire a haircut uh, <laughs> are controlling, you know, even the private sector aspects. Like there's a defense to be made and I'm not sure how accurate it is. Yeah. You know, I think I probably came out too much guns blazing the first time we answered the question about yeah, is China socialist or not? I took too pure of an approach to it, I think. But I'm not quite sure if I would say they are unquestionably socialist. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I think I think there are some things they do pretty well. But yeah, I have a lot of questions. Oh, sure. I mean, they, they are in a lot of ways doing good things. And then, of course, there's the counter to that. Of, <laughs> doing some bad things. Yeah, what, what things are they doing badly to, you know, groups of their people? Yeah. But... For our story, when Deng Xiaoping takes power in 1978 and his forces, because it's not just a person, right? Yeah, his yeah. forces, the reformist forces are opened up and that's what starts kind of guiding the Communist Party of China. They start doing those reforms and everything. Yeah. The antagonism of the split slowly dies down. It doesn't technically go away until 1989 when Gorbachev visits China oh. uh, shakes Deng's hand, and they're you know they're good. They're good, but, but then they're good for two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the split is there for a long time. Wow. Do you have any other questions about this? Or all right, what did our good pals, the United States, do? I guess like how do they feel about this? Do they do any fuckery to like try to exacerbate the split? you know anything about that? Uh, I think the biggest move that they made in that regard was Nixon going to China. Yeah, yeah. This was, Nixon had planned to do this from his first day in office. He wanted to try to start diplomatic relations with China again. Why, why, why does the U.S. want to do this, yeah. right? One, I think, is a, is a counter to the Soviet Union. Yeah. I think that's... I stole your friend. Yeah, they... they in that time period, I think rightly perceive the Soviets as the bigger, more powerful enemy of the U.S. Yeah. So it's helpful to have a a close uh, on their border counterbalance to that. It's also, from their perspective, helpful to drive a wedge uh, to deepen the divide in the international communist movement. Yeah. And they know that they're facing uh, these different wars of liberation where one of the factions is backed up by China. So if you corrupt them by becoming their friend, and now you can say to those rebel forces, the people who back you are imperialist lackeys, Mm -hmm. that's helpful for you. Uh, Trade, obviously, you have a bigger market to exploit. If you can convince these guys to slide on into market reformism, which you will do a little while later, (laughs) then you can start, you know, exploiting them. Yeah. So it makes sense, I think, from the U.S. perspective. That was one of the things they were trying to trying to do. It's less, I don't think there's a whole lot of, well, I wasn't really reading about it. There may be lots of instances of, like, CIA shit and stuff yeah, yeah. directly related sure to that. that. It was on their radar. But for the most part, I think the U.S. only had to stand back and, like, print, you know, just say, look at what these dumbass communists are doing, yelling at each other. Agree. Yeah, it was just... Lovely for them to behold. Yeah, uh, I'm the sure they crack like... in the monolithic, you know, structure of of communism is just. Jesus. It's you love to see it, is what they were uh, saying. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Wow. Okay, maybe this is jumping ahead to more lessons, but what? How do you prevent this kind of <laughs> shit from happening? You think? It. That's a tough one. <laughs> because there's going to come points where you think you're right. That's the thing. Maybe is having doubt. Yeah, is it comes with any organization, whether within a party or different national parties like this. 
and maybe, you know, just organizations, we should say. We live in such a world that just parties are... <laughs> it's not a thing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but when you have a, a situation like this, I mean, we laid it out at the beginning that kind of the, trying to argue from each perspective and say, Here, yeah. here's what they saw. Here's what they saw. And they both thought it was right. Yeah. I mean, I really do think there are valid points on both sides. And there are also shitty points on both sides. Like, don't like the market stuff, but I do understand like wanting to still be internationalist but maybe not like they were trying to do in china like just bombing taiwan for no reason like they're like everyone fucked up everyone made mistakes i think the biggest fuck up for me is that they failed to keep in mind who the real enemy is that is my frustration like the fact that you would circle all the way back around to cozying up to the you fucking s of a yeah. What did you went wrong? If you guys, if you wake up one day <laughs> and you've invited Richard M. Nixon over to your house, <laughs> you messed up. Uh, yeah, for real. Um, that's the thing is you've got to keep in mind who you're fighting or the positive spin on this. You've got to keep in mind like what you're fighting for. Yes. Maybe. Yes. If you you know, I always focus on the enemy aggro. part, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're going to have differences of opinion. You're going to have genuine ones, ones that you think are significant to the movement. But if you keep in mind what you're fighting for and against at the end of the day, so are they. I mean, yeah, this is totally a, a macro version of the kind of conversations we have a lot on this show about uh, factionalism and inter intra-party struggle mm -hmm. of... What do you do when you want to, one side wants to go, you know, reformist or electoralist, the other side doesn't, like... Mm -hmm. Well, you split, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> if you're anything like history, you split. But is there a way to make room for multiple approaches, I guess, and, and on an intra-party level and on an international level? Yeah, that's... I think so. I, I think, yeah. I think you can be <laughs> like, all right, we'll help you when we can. We're not into that, but you can go do that if you want. Right, yeah. You can especially at the national level or the, you know, like the international level sort of thing. I feel like you could, it's, it's still going to suck at times. You're still not going to like feel good about everything you're doing. Maybe because uh -huh. you'll be like, I had to work with them and they, <laughs> but like icky. for the most part, you know, you're dealing with domestic issues and, and, and you can kind of do in your country what you want. Like yeah. that, I don't see why you would have to spend, you know, it's tiring to spend time of your day. They're living rent free in your head. As writing your, your burn letters and your fucking yeah. call out posts. Like, and let shit. it be, you know? Yeah, just like fucking, like, okay, that's not my country, not my problem. Right. But I, still support them where you can, I guess, is the question. Like, where does that line get drawn of, like, they call, because you're friends and they call you up, like, can you send us some fucking weapons? Do you say, no, I'm staying out of that? Or do you say, well, we're friends, so yes? Mm, like, if they're in a conflict and they won't help? Yeah. Well, it depends who they're fighting, you know, and if they're yeah. if they're fighting the imperialist countries, yeah, definitely help them yeah, out, yeah. you know, because remember who are you, who are you fighting for, who are you fighting against, which side are you on is like our our theme. It really is our, our for everything. These days. <laughs> uh, I think maybe in the if you break it down to microcosms and stuff, because it's getting way ahead of ourselves to imagine like. You know, when there's multiple communist nations again. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how can we work together in that situation? But how can we get there? Uh -huh. You know, deals with the question of party organizations and splits that way. Yeah, and accepting yeah. all stripes, which we try to do here. Yeah, I think that you can run into situations where you're in an organization, they take a certain path, and you and maybe a sizable group of you don't within the party don't like it. Yeah. You know, and if it's severe enough... I think it's okay to split off and work in your own way, but you have to be cooperative. You have to still show up to the same rallies, still show up to the same, you know, organizing events and everything and like still do the same work. Like uh, the movie last week, like the lesbians, they mm -hmm. still showed up at the end of support. They weren't like, well, we're against them. They're just right. like, we're going to go do our own thing. That's the thing is it's fine to, or, to organize in those parallel structures, but you still have to, you can't go against them. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Is like, you don't want to end up siding with, you know, well, they're striking against, so I'm going to go side with the bosses. Yeah, what the fuck? That's to a get crazy them. thing to do. Yeah, so that's the thing is, again, which side are you on? You have to, you have to work that out. Yeah. Which they did not do. When you, in yeah. the Sino-Soviet split, they definitely... Okay, okay, here's my next question. 
Yeah. If you had a time machine and you could fix one of these things, where do you think you'd fix it? Where, what do you think was the crucial moment? Fuck, to, to eliminate the split altogether? Yeah, yeah. Your mission is you have time machine and you, you must eliminate the split. Where do you go? What do you do? See, that's a toughie. Because it, 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 it was an exacerbated thing, for sure. Yeah. To eliminate, to effectively eliminate the split. You'd have to have a couple time machine trips, I think. Mm, if, you, if you're organized enough, you can probably pull it off in one run in 1953. Yeah. You have to eliminate several people, basically. But if you can <laughs> pick, it, probably Molotov is the best guy for it. Uh, basically, make sure Molotov or some other hardline Stalin uh, supporter uh-huh. uh, ends up in the seat, you know, the, the chief guy in the Politburo. Gotcha, gotcha. So get rid of, getting rid of Khrushchev. Yeah, get okay. rid of Khrushchev. Probably get rid of Beria um, because he was, in his brief little stint of sort of leadership, he started just drastic reforms of shit that he had himself been doing. Gotcha. So, uh You'd have to get a hardliner in there, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, Soviet Union would take a drastically different approach. For but, sure. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's not good in its own ways. Yeah, that sounds like kind of a bit of a war, world war situation. But the, happen. but the Chinese are, are not going to be mad. Then. They're, they're going to be like, great, we're still following the, the path that Stalin set forward and no split. Interesting. I, again, I'm not I, sure it's good, but yeah, that's the thing. I'm not like a big Stalin head. So. Okay, so one thing you could do then is time travel to I don't know the exact year, but what you have to do is you have to oust Mao and the Gang of Four, oh. and you have to get reformers in power earlier. Yeah, which I think I don't is think a, that's good either. That's a darker one for me because they are going to go reformists so quickly that. I mean, if they go reformist that early on, I don't, without yeah. without establishing such a strong party structure and everything, they're probably just going to devolve into just a so. completely capitalist country. I think so. Yeah. Shit. It it would be hard because those party lines are drawn on such like shitty quadrants for me personally. I'd be like, oh, these both kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't want to do the market reforms. But also, like, I'd like abortion back, please. And, like, maybe we do fewer purges. And, like, you know, again, not a Stalin head. <laughs> yeah. Between the two, I'd take the Stalin route. But yeah, I realize I it, would so. come with, it would come with some drawbacks. Yeah, defo. Alternatively. It's better than the market fucking capitalism. Like, that's a bad path. Yeah. I mean, if you could find somebody like Tito or some, you know, to yeah. do a little blend. Let's just throw Tito in charge. Just yeah, just clone him. Just clone Tito. Clone him, bring him over there. Put a mustache on him so no one notices. Does he already have a mustache? I don't care. He has two now. And yeah, just let him be in charge. He seemed cool. Did he have any? He didn't have that many strikes, did he? Not that many strikes, no. He, I'm sure he had a few. They, I mean, they had that like prison thing that, yeah. that, they, that they sent people to. So there were some downsides. Got some money from the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't like that part. Always fun. Always a crowd favorite. Ugh. But his was not to fuck somebody over. His was to continue to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, another little present for you patrons. Oh. You're going to get, uh, in these notes, I put in some of my queries that I had done to chat GPT. If you've heard oh, everyone the, talking the about AI this one. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I had it. Explain the Sino-Soviet split to me, and I put that in there. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, it was not that, not that off, honestly. Okay, great. Uh, it also told me how to achieve global communism from yeah. a Marxist-Leninist-Maoist perspective. Yep, yep. Uh, and it also told me how to do so from an anarcho-communist perspective. Didn't it also do the trial of Bezos? It did what? The trial of Jeff Bezos. Oh, I, I didn't save that one, but yes. It, That's hilarious. <laughs> It uh, gave me a speech on why we should arrest and exile <laughs> Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Great, great. And it was convincing. I was convinced. Yeah, I mean, it did pretty good. Yeah, so <laughs> writers, if this is ethically bad, let us know, because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who they're stealing from to get this. <laughs> yeah, we came down pretty hard on, on our AI, but I don't know how it works for writing. So educate me. I'll let you educate me on this. Yeah. 
And if it's bad enough, we can always just take it out of it's the true. patron resources. It's true. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all I've got. Awesome. For this. Any more questions or lessons or? No, I think I got it. I mean, it sounds messy. It sounds, I don't want to say petty because, yeah, it, they did seem like important things at the time. But. But it was handled pettily. Yes. Yes. So real differences that really needed to be addressed and talked through and probably ultimately you go your way i go my way sort of thing like we were talking about but handled pretty much in the absolutely worst way you can yep, handle yep. it Have of just saying like fuck you you're so bad that i'm gonna go help the u.s yeah that's not good that's <laughs> not good and um, then at the end we'll both end up lousy reformists or gone that's like you sleep with someone's mortal enemy or something yeah like i slept with the person you hate the most <laughs> no but you also hate them <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> uh all right cool next week we don't really know because we're recording in advance because gray's going on a trip so i have to figure out some sort of episode to captain so stay tuned Yep, uh, mystery episode next. It'll be a good one. We'll see. <laughs> if anything, we'll just shoot the shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, see you next time. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.